Welcome in to the At The Art Podcast. Today's guest is UC Santa Barbara Recruiting Coordinator Matt Bontino. We'll hear a little bit about his career path from NAIA up to Division I, the importance of data and technology for the Gauchos, the state of recruiting, and much more. All that on episode 43 of the At The Art Podcast. Welcome back to the At The Art Podcast. Really excited about today's guest, Matt Fontino, recruiting coordinator from UC Santa Barbara, joins me. Matt, pretty hectic time in our lives right now. A lot of stuff going on and a lot of unknown. Uh, how are you and your family holding up during this time? Uh, we're doing all right. We're hanging in there. We're just uh, taking it day by day. And, you know, we got Fontino Elementary School happening at our at our place, as I'm sure <laughs> You do as well, and, and uh, a bunch of families out there. So we're yeah, we're just doing, we're making the best out of the situation, and uh, we're trying to stay as safe and healthy as, as we can possibly be. Thanks for asking. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny. I talk to friends that are, are on the East Coast, and you know, they, they say, hey, at least you guys are where it's you know 75, 80 degrees, and you're not you know landlocked with some snow and all that. So things could be worse for us, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The worst days have been the rainy, the, the few rainy days we've had where we're stuck inside all day. That Our kids kind of go bonkers a little bit, as I'm sure yours do as well. But, uh, but yeah, we're, we're lucky to have some, some nice sunny weather here. Yeah, no, no doubt. So, so, Matt, let's jump in. You know, you're a native of Petaluma, California. Uh, played your high yep. school ball up there. And uh, your, your, your path after high school took you to uh, College of Marin uh, and then York College in Nebraska. Uh, you know, what, what, what were those experiences like for you coming from a, you know, a junior college going out to Nebraska playing college baseball? Um, opening experience, to be honest with you, you know, you know, just, you know, going from the, the JC uh, situation, which, you know, w- was good for me. It's what I needed both, to, both, you know, mature, both physically and mentally and, um, you know, work on my academics and all that stuff. But, it, you know, it was an eye-opening opening experience. Um, I think it was uh, something I wouldn't trade for the world, to be quite honest with you, you know, having the opportunity to, um, you know, I transferred out there with, you know, there was a bunch of us West Coast JC guys that transferred into that school, you know, lifelong friendships. Those guys, you know, we stay in t- touch to this day and um, guys that I would consider as, as close to brothers as, as anyone could be. Um, but, uh, you know, it was a great experience, you know, I think California boy going out to the land in Nebraska and experiencing very cold temperatures and, and working through that stuff was, was a bit of an adjustment of course, but, uh, you know, it, it was a good positive experience. We had a chance to, to win some ball games out there. I, of course, got my degree and, uh, moved on from there, but it was, it, it was something I wouldn't trade for the world. You know, I'm glad you, you mentioned that because a lot of kids nowadays seem to think it's kind of D1 or bust, right? Where, where sure. they don't kind of recognize like, hey, I could go to a JC and like you said, develop not only physically, but mentally, right? And, and mature, right? Get that maturity standpoint. And do you, do you think that that route is kind of an undervalued route in today's day and age of recruiting? Uh, there's no, there's no doubt about it. And you know, it's, it's the way it is. And, and I, I understand at the same time what the, the high school kids these days are thinking. I, I, I was them, you know, I wanted to play at Texas or U, UCLA or, you know, one of these big time schools at the time, you know, and, uh, you know, but then you, you get into it and, and it's all about you getting the opportunity to play and go and do your thing and get at bats. And, you know, it's like the same thing with summer ball. Every kid in the country wants to go play in the Cape. Right. But, 
Um, it's not for everybody, and, and it's about you getting innings, and it's about you getting at bats, and it's about you experiencing the opportunity to play as much baseball as you can. And um, at the end of the day, you're going to be as good as you as you hold, you know, as high as you hold your, yourself to, and how much work you put into it. And um, it's really about you getting the the right opportunities moving forward. For me, it was to go play NAI baseball and um, enjoy that for a couple years, and then move on to coaching. Yeah, so let's talk about that. You go from your college, and then you you start your coaching path and you you start your coaching career at cal lutheran uh, back in socal and so how what was that process like how did you go from you know finishing your playing days at your college to boom all of a sudden you're an assistant over at cal lu yeah so it was it was a. Uh... You know, so I, I got done playing, you know, through my, my, my uh, college eligibility, and I had an additional year or so of school remaining, you know, which isn't necessarily uncommon for student-athletes. And, uh, you know, the, the coach at the time at, at York was uh, allowed me to, to stay on as, you know, an undergrad assistant uh, to finish up and then, you know, dip my toe in the water of coaching a little bit. And at that time, it was like, I, I'm going to get my degree in education. I'm going to go be a high school teacher. I'm going to coach at the high school level. And I'm going to be happy for the rest of my life. And then here I am as a whatever two-year-old getting a chance to, to coach at the college level. Um, and I never looked back. I said, this is what I want to do. I changed my major as a senior, which is which is unheard of. I uh, made wow. some adjustment to it. Um, got my degree. And then uh, the guy I played for at York um, had previously coached at Cal Lutheran, made a, made a phone call on my behalf and, and was able to uh, hop on to Marty Slimak's uh, coaching staff there at Cal Lutheran. So at what point during your playing days did you say, you know, hey, I, pro ball may not be in, in the cards for me, you know, and at what point did you say, well, I think I'm going to give this coaching thing a shot, or was that something you had already had all, always envisioned, thinking, like you mentioned, hey, I'm going to teach high school and, and just coach high school ball? Um, you know, just to your first question, the day I stopped thinking about playing pro baseball was probably a year after I got done playing. Um, I stayed in shape that whole year and um, was hoping for some professional opportunities, whether it be the draft or whether it be some independent baseball and whatnot. And, you know, none of that came to fruition and it, it, it was what it was. I gave it all I could. And then, um, you know, I think always in the back of my mind, I knew um, I was drawn to uh, the side of coaching, whether it be just, you know, trying to understand the perspective of, the various coaches I had, you know, my, my dad growing up coached me and almost everything growing up. So I think I have a little bit of a pedigree from that standpoint, um, understanding where, where he's coming from with it. Uh, but I knew, all, you know, the whole time, you know, it, as a backup, hey, I want to stay in this game. And, you know, I enjoy, um, you know, all that all that it has, you know, of course, as a player, but also on the other side from the coaching and the strategy and the development and all that stuff. And, I knew in the back of my mind that that's that's the direction I was going to go, whether, you know, of course, for most of it being at the high school level now as a senior in college, understanding that I want to do it at the college level. So you spent three years at Calu. Uh, after that, in 05, you, you head over to UNLV, uh, where you worked with the outfielders and the hitters and had a lot of success there developing guys. I mean, seven players drafted uh, during that time. Well, and during that experience, you had the opportunity, I presume, to recruit at the D1 level. So what was that adjustment like going from Calu to you recruiting guys to UNLV? Yeah, you know, it, it, was, a, it was a big step. Um, you know, I give a lot of credit to, to Buddy Goldsmith, the head coach at the time, for taking a chance on me and, and hiring him as, as their volunteer assistant coach and um, getting a chance to experience the, the highest level of college baseball 
Um, you know, just going back to the Cal Lutheran experience, I think, you know, uh, what Coach Slimak, you know, the opportunity he gave me and, um, you know, if, 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 if anything is going to get you ready to uh, recruit at the college level, it's doing it at the Division three level because you want to talk about the challenges out there. One, there's virtually no re- recruiting budget, but two, you have no scholarships and you got to recruit to a school that costs 40 plus thousand dollars a year. Uh, go get them. You know what I mean? You want to talk about, you know what I mean? Like you talk about, you know, the challenges us as division one recruiters have now, but you know, you, you, you figure out a way to work you through that. And that was an experience I always, uh, go back to, uh, as an evaluator and a recruiter, but, you know, going, going to UNLV, of course, you know, having the chance to, to work along buddy Goldsmith and work with, you know, guys like Nate Yeski and Scott Malone and, and later on Mike Kirby and Dave Martinez, you know, I think I, I learned a ton from those guys. Those guys were incredibly mentor, incredible mentors to me and guys that I, I still stay in touch with to this day and, and lean on for, for things. But, but yeah, you know, being around, you know, Xavier Scruggs who went on to play, uh, for the Cardinals, a uh, guy that was a freshman my first year there and, um, and, and, and on through his sophomore junior year to getting drafted. But, you know, it, it was a great experience getting a chance to do it at that, that level and really start to dig in and, and um, trying to create, um, you know, a, as good of a coaching uh, mold as I can in myself. Yeah, so you get your, uh, for a lack of better terms, you get a shot, right, in, in 2008 mm-hmm. and, and you're hired as the recruiting coordinator at Chico State, so now you're going back, uh, you know, back to the Division Two level. There, what was what was that transition for you, and how did your experience at UNLV kind of prepare you for that transition, you know, back to the D two level? Um, you know, I think first and foremost, from an on field standpoint, um, you know, my experience at you know working at, at UNLV and the Division One level really gave me a, a good stronghold of of what it takes for, you know, t- for player development and the, the detail and the scheduling and the, uh, you know, the, the relationships you need with your players and, and, and all that goes into um, the guys that are on your current roster, which is the most important thing. Um, you know, it, it gave me a great, great idea and a great plan moving forward in my coaching career of how to handle that stuff. Now from a recruiting stance, um, you know, it, of course it gave me, um, my experiences at UNLV gave me a good opportunity to, to start to understand you know, scholarships and scholarships budgets and, you know, putting together a recruiting calendar and, and working through all that stuff, you know, visits, official visits, how to, how to run those and, and things like that. And, you know, I think that experience of doing it at the division one level and then going to a division two power at Chico state uh, where coach Taylor, you know, gave me a lot of freedom and, and to, to do a lot of things both on the field and with the recruiting. Um, you know, I think it, it's a second to none experience. I, I had the opportunity to have uh, from my days at UNLV. Yeah, so then you spend a year at Nevada under Gary Powers there in 2013 uh, before being hired over at St. Mary's by uh, Eric Valenzuela in 2013 uh, through where you stayed through 2018. You guys had a tremendous, tremendous amount of success that that program had an experience. What was that like for you and, and kind of the staff? And then obviously sharing that with the players and, and just that experience as a whole at St. Mary's. You know, it, it, it was awesome. You know, it's, uh, you know, and I grew up in the Bay Area, so that's a that's a program that I've known about my whole life virtually. And, um, you know, I had some really good players run through that program. And but, you know, as a team, hadn't experienced quite the success that we were fortunate enough to end up having uh, for my five years there. But, um, you know, I mean, essentially, it was like, you know, getting a chance to really start a program from scratch to a certain extent. We took our Believe me, we took our, our lumps, our bruises, our punches to the face. You know, that first year, I think we shoot, we had 13 or 16 losses in a row at one point. 
Um, and you want to talk about really having to test yourself mentally, uh, you know, going through that stuff. But, you know, again, it was always about staying positive with the current players. It was all about uh, really taking in that, that batch of players that was there our first year. Uh, the Corbin Burns, Nate Nolans, Tony Gonsolin, who's now in the big, so is Corbin. Um, you know, guys like that. But, you know, really being positive with those guys and really digging deep on player development stuff and then just absolutely – um, being terrors on the recruiting path and, uh, you know, just being relentless and outworking everybody, um, no excuses, um, and going out there and getting the best guys that we could possibly get. And, uh, whoever we end up with, we're going to develop the heck out of them. And fortunately we were, we were able to get some wins out of it. You know, of course, a, a first ever WCC championship, first ever regional appearance, um, and all that stuff. And numerous draft picks later, you know, we were able to, uh, you know, experience a lot of that success. So you talked about that 16, 15, 16 game losing streak and you talk about just the challenges mentally. What were some of those challenges, right? I mean, because look, everybody's been on a team where you lose a few games and it's it's tough to get motivated to go go to practice or even go to the games and, and you know try to block out the noise, if you will. But what sort of strategies did you guys implement to keep the guys up and keep the guys motivated and keep the guys wanting to come to the yard when you're going through that and, and having the vision that ultimately led to that first WCC and regional appearance in 2016? Well, you know, it started at the top, you know, uh, great job of maintaining a very positive outlook on everything, even though we were in the the middle of you know that loss losing streak or maybe you know coming up short on some one run losses and whatnot but uh um, you know it started at the top and then we you know did our best to try to try to hang in there as a coaching staff as a group to to maintain a, a good uh model for our players and and for our players the message was was clear and it was you know your play and how you, and and how you go about your business on a daily basis is really what it was about yeah hey listen we us as college baseball coaches, we truly understand that even though academics is incredibly important, even though their experience as a student athlete is incredibly important, we're graded on wins and losses, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's easy to get wrapped, your, you know, get your head wrapped around that. But we did a great job, I think, of just reinforcing the fact that, hey, for, for you guys and for us in this in, in program, for us to stick our foot in the ground and just understand that, hey, it's about the process and about how you're going to go about your business on a, on a daily basis. And it's about you as an individual taking care of your business every single day to go ahead and be, get be, better for the next. And as long as we stay on that path, which we did, um, even though we experienced some losses, um, we're going to come out of this thing uh, looking pretty good at the other end. Yeah, and it certainly played out that way in 2016. And uh, so July 2018, Andrew Checkett tabs you as the recruiting coordinator for UC Santa Barbara. What was it that really drew you to UC Santa Barbara and obviously Coach Checkett's and the opportunity to, to coach with him? Yeah, I think it's just, you know, us as coaches, you know, we, you know, we, it's about you developing as an individual and, and of course, you know, building your resume and all that stuff. I, you know, one day want to be a head coach and get a chance to, you know, use all the things I've learned in my coaching career to one day take over a program and, and have an opportunity to, to, you know, go with it from that standpoint. But, um, you know, just to continue to develop as an individual and as a coach and to be about a, a part of a program that's, you know, at that point had already been to Omaha and had the trip to College World Series in 2016 and had already hosted a regional and already had, you know, numerous big leaguers and already had, um, you know, numerous guys drafted on top of the fact of a, you know, world-class education on top of that in, in a beautiful area. So it, it was an opportunity that, you know, I, I just couldn't pass up. And, and so how, 
you know, you and I have, have kind of shared texts a, a couple of times about, you know, the data sure. and the tech piece. And, uh, you know, obviously, in my opinion, at least on the West Coast, it appears that Santa Barbara is kind of at the forefront in terms of college programs. You guys have a director of analytics. Uh, how mm-hmm. big of a draw was that to you personally in terms of your development and your future interest, in, you know, in leading a program? And how how do you guys implement that stuff into your your daily routine with players? Yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm I've always found myself drawn to numbers and whatnot, and <clears throat> for the most part of my coaching career was, of course, you know, statistics and whatnot, just as a as a baseline to to say, hey. You know, are we doing the right thing? Are we focused on the right stuff when it comes to our players and their player development? Um, and then, you know, I, I knew about TrackMan and I knew about Rapsodo and I knew about, um, of course, the, the the growing popularity of analytics and, and whatnot in our sport. Um, but boy, what we've done here and, and what's happened even before I got here is is been second to none. You know, we yeah we have TrackMan at the stadium and and our pitchers use Rapsodo and and most of their bullpen stuff and we utilize a fair share of the analytical stuff. When it comes to offense, um, but you know, I think the way it's implemented is is the uh, is the true separator because numbers are one thing. You can say, okay, we have these numbers and whatnot. Go go get them. But you know, your players got to understand it. Your players have to understand the the importance and the value uh, and how it correlates to their individual player development. And then on the flip side, from a scouting standpoint, is you know, how are we going to take those numbers and to use them to our advantage? How are we going to take those numbers and um, you know, from a, even a, an opponent standpoint, how are we going to take those numbers and figure out a way to to beat those guys, uh, both offensively and and and, that, and at the plate? So, um, how we implement it, you know, it's a multitude of things. Uh, you you touched on it. We do have a director of analytics. We have two guys that do a great job with us right now, and um, and we have two guys that have you know gone on to, to professional baseball with the Yankees and. And with the Blue Jays, um, just since my time being here, so uh, we have a great system in place, and, and those guys do a great job. But again, with anything, I think it's got to start at the top. And Coach Checkets has done a really good job of, uh, you know, from demonstrating the leadership and of understanding the importance of that stuff. Um, now, one thing with with the analytics and with you know utilizing some of the numbers and stuff out there, they're good and it's positive and all that stuff. But one thing we you know you cannot turn a blind eye to is just understanding the importance of the players still got to compete they still got to go in there and they still got to have the right attitude on a daily basis and of course in a game to to go ahead and get it done but uh but boy again having a chance to really um utilize the analytics and and whatnot to our advantage has been a it's been a big big thing in this program yeah and i think one of the key points you mentioned there is is the scouting right and the game planning for your opponents and how you can take that information from say a Friday night game and, and look at it briefly and maybe come up with a game plan to attack hitters come Saturday and Sunday. Right. I think that's, it's a really yeah. valuable tool to have in your back pocket. There's no, there's no question. It's uh, and, and again, my, my general working knowledge of, of what it was before I stepped up, you know, on the, on the campus here versus where I'm at now, I'm by no means a, a, a genius when it comes to this stuff, but with the stuff I've learned, it's been unbelievable. It's just, it's, I almost feel like it's it's like the Matrix, you know, like, uh, you know, you see all the numbers on the screen, but they, you know, they see the stuff and it's like if you can, you just read it in a different way. And, um, you know, whether it be an opposing pitcher and seeing uh, what his specific uh, spin rates are and, and vertical and vertical rise and all those things, uh, you know, or, you know how, how you can use those to your advantage as, as a hitter 
um, or what to look for as a hitter, and then of course how we how we utilize it in uh, um, attacking the oppo- opposing hitters. And and you know just to take it one step further, how are you using sure. that that element of you know what you have? You said you have TrackMan at your stadium. You know, I presume you guys are running camps like just about everybody else. How are you using that yeah. when it comes to recruiting, right? I mean, because obviously PBR is now we are going to have TrackMan at our events. We're going to have that data available to college coaches, to pro scouts. How, how do you guys use that when it comes to recruiting? Um, you know, I think it's a part of it. Um, you know, I think recruiting is, is, is a lot of different levels and stuff. But um, I think a little bit more to the pitching side of it. I think you can read a little bit more into – uh, some of the numbers and the data out there to start to really build a good picture as far as hey what 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 this guy's fastball does or what his you know breaking ball does um, you know from there so I think that getting a chance to to see some numbers and and what you guys are doing you know at PBR with implementing TrackMan is is a game changer um, you know it's a, it's something that a program like ours is really going to value um, you know in the long run for sure but you know I think that you know uh, you know whether it be the knowledge that I've been able to, to, to get by seeing the numbers and understanding what this guy is and what it, what his pitches do and then what he, it, it may uh, entail down the road or having, you know, Coach Checkett's, um take a look at it, of course, and, and what he can get out of it. But I think it's incredibly valuable to be able to see those numbers. Offensively, it's a little bit different. Sometimes exit velos are, um, you know, a, a little bit misleading. Sometimes there's so much that goes into to hitting um of course we want guys that can hit the ball hard but uh, at the same time you know there's 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 an approach and there's um some different mechanics that go in and, and to be able to, to be a good hitter but um the pitching stuff for sure is, is something that that we take advantage of yeah and, and you know i'm not saying that that schools are are recruiting based off just track man data alone right and if they are those guys probably won't be employed very long but I mean, there's so yeah. much go, so much goes into recruiting, right? I mean, gut feel, relationships, you know, the ability to to communicate well with the with the players. But so, how would you describe what the recruiting philosophy is, you know, at Santa Barbara? Um, to get the best players possible. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I mean, okay, of course, you know, so that's the, the, that's, a, that's a really great point. So, how do you? How do you define what the best players possible are? Because yeah, so much, so yeah. much of it is projection, right? Yeah, it's it's a ton of projection. You know, I think that um, you know, first and foremost, we want to start off with um, you know the guy that's got to be able to play some baseball. Just speaking from a position player standpoint, I think that's one thing that separates probably the college game a little bit more from the the professional side. Is I think they're a little bit more focused on tools. They of course have three, four, five, six years to just to you know develop guys and whatnot we're 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 more result driven um type of a business but um you know we want guys that can play the game and then from there you you take body type and um you know stature what the parents are like you know built like as far as you know what they might grow into depending on the kid's age um you know what kind of a bats they take and then from a pitching side of course you want guys that you know their arm action plays and they've got you know you know the, the velocity may be you know low to mid eighties, depending on their grad year. And you just feel like based off of your, your experiences and whatnot, that there's going to be, be a tick up in velocity there as they continue to physically mature and, uh, and all that stuff. So, th- you know, there's a lot of it going, goes into it. I think the, the big thing for us is I think, you know, just, you know, my experiences on the West coast, there's a lot of really good recruiters and evaluators out there. So we, we all see the same stuff and we all flock to the same people and we all recruit the same guys 
for the most part. There's some there's some differences when it comes to that stuff. But the separator, quite honestly, is is the mentality and the work ethic. You know, I think that's why we really have to rely on, uh, you know, their travel ball coaches. We really have to rely on, or at least I do, I really rely on their high school coaches and to finding out what kind of the person that, you know, the kid is and, and what kind of worker he is in practice and what kind of student he is and what's the family like and all those things. And I think that, um, you know, ultimately we want, you know, a, a good baseball player that's got baseball skills. But on top of that, I mean, boy, as tough as can be, as competitive as can be, um, and those are the guys are the, the easiest to coach. They're the most fun to coach. Um, and those are the guys that ultimately end up being game changers in your program. Yeah, you talked about, you know, seeking out information from a high school coach, obviously, and then the club coach. And so what do you do when you get conflicting information? I've asked this question of you know every coach I've had on the podcast and, you know, you get some varying answers. I'm interested to hear what, what do you do in a situation where a high school coach tells you one thing, a travel ball or a club coach tells you another thing? Where do you go from there to get to, you know, what the what the reality or what the truth really is? Yeah, I think it depends on who you're talking to. If it's if it's somebody that you have a you know really good relationship with and you trust, um, you know whether it be you know based off of your experiences with that person, that coach uh, over the years or whatnot, then I think that that's probably the side to lie on. Um, I think for me, it's easier to um, rely on the high school coach just a little bit more. Um, that's not to discount travel baseball at all. I just think that sometimes, you know, when you're dealing with a high school coach who's probably making a couple grand a year and, um, you know, the, a teacher at the school and, um, you know, is around that kid a lot, you know, is around uh, that kid's teachers um, on a daily basis. Sometimes that information, um, you know, tends to be a little bit more of, of, of a, a true thing than, you know, maybe it's, you know, some the, the travel ball coach's only experience with the kid is in the summer when they're out in Arizona for a weekend or when they're, you know, down in Orange County at a tournament for a weekend or something like that, but they don't really get to know the kid, you know, what he's, you know, on a daily basis, um, you know, in practice and school and all that. Yeah, that's, that, that's, that's a really good answer to that question. So that, uh, you know, you talked a little bit about being, you know, the, the guys at St. Mary's and then obviously in your time at, at Santa Barbara, some really good players have come through there and obviously, you know, some natural leaders that you've been around there as players. So at Santa Barbara, like how do you guys define leadership in your program? How do you guys, what do you, what sort of strategies do you go about to, to build leaders in your program? Yeah, I think to be quite honest, I think in order to, to build leadership and leadership, you know, it's, it's a big word these days, you know, everybody, uh, has varying opinions on how you develop it. And, you know, some people think you're born with it and some people think you can develop it. Yeah. You know, I think it starts with the individual. Um, I think, um, too often teams, programs and whatnot, I think get wrapped up with, okay, who, who, who are our leaders this year? Let's pick our leaders. Okay. You guys are in charge. Go get them. When in reality, they might not even know how to lead themselves. So if anything, we spend a lot of time on, you know, player X, you know, how are you going to go about, just taking care of your business you know what i mean like it, academics aside yes you're going to be in class every day you're going to be in study hall you're going to kick butt in the classroom but baseball wise like what are you doing early before practice what are you doing late what are you doing to separate yourself from um, the next guy to be as good as you can possibly be and then once they establish that stuff um, and start to separate themselves then it's like okay now i'm going to take one guy with me to help him out now i'm going to take two guys 
and mentor those guys. And then hopefully those two guys start to understand it. And that those three guys turns into six and then it turns into 12 and then it turns into 18. And then all of a sudden you got a bunch of dudes that just basically for the lack of a better way to put it, don't even need us coaches anymore because they're like, coach, we got it. We're good. I can run bunt defense because I know it inside and out. And all these other dudes are good with it. Um, you guys just critique us like you, like you need to. And, but we got it. We're, we're good. You know? And I think that that's really the, how we hammer it um, home for these guys we start individually and then we slowly let let them take the reins and go from there you know i think another thing we do is we put them in a position to be leaders you know i think quite often um you know we we you know there's you know people pick you know guys to lead or guys to just randomly lead things versus putting them in a position to hey you know this is something we do with our guys i'll give a couple infielders a heads up hey you're teaching bunt defenses um uh in two days make sure you're ready to go and and I'll stick the dry erase board in front of the group and say, okay, you two guys got it. Okay, here's Bunty, play one with the runner on first base, go get them. And uh, you know, next thing you know, they're, they're going to spend those the, the, the time to make sure that they're as prepared as they can be, to teach it, to be detailed about it. Um, and then they're going to start to hold guy, guys accountable to make sure that they're doing it the right way. That's, that's really how we develop uh, leadership at our place. And how cautious are you or cognizant are you of – trying not to force leadership, right? I mean, because there's just some guys that, you know, they may be really good players who just aren't the big vocal guys or don't want to take the reins. And then conversely, there might be guys that, you know, maybe the second to last guy on your bench, but everybody looks to that guy as a leader because he busts his tail, he knows the program inside out, he knows everything. So how cautious or, you know, or cognizant are you of trying not to force leadership upon a guy who may not want it? Um, you know, I think it's, it's in there. Um, I will say, I think that, I think there's, you know, you, you mentioned the, the more verbal guy versus the, the quieter guy that just goes about his business. I think there's value in both. Um, I think the guy that really works his butt off, but is a, is a little bit quieter and not as outgoing and whatnot. I think that, uh, uh, I think that's good and that's positive. And I think you got, you need guys like that in your program. I, I'll also say, I think that you can still find opportunities for a guy like that to be vocal maybe it's not for him to stand in front of the entire group and you know scream out uh, the rallying cry or something like that but maybe it's you know if it's one of my outfielders that is that guy then maybe i start to incorporate him into being a little bit more of a leader with my you know six to eight outfielders i have and then all of a sudden he's taking the reins with my outfielders but he doesn't have to take the, the reins over the 35 man group but i know i can rely on that guy like hey that's my guy in the outfield he, he's got it um and, and we're good from there the, the guy that's you know uh you know that maybe it doesn't have the playing time that that he that you know certain guys are getting and whatnot there's there's value to that of course you want all your guys to you know you know bust their butts and and, and be good workers and all that stuff but at the at the same time we can only play 10 guys um a day so um you know there's value in those guys as well yeah, absolutely. You mentioned earlier, Matt, that you know you have aspirations of being a head coach one day, and I'm sure every assistant yeah. coach across the country does. So, you know, what are some of the what are some of the valuable lessons? I mean, you you've gone from you know playing and then coaching at NAIA to D three to D two, and now at D one uh, at the highest level. Well, what are some of the valuable lessons you've learned uh, along the way that you think position you well to potentially one day take over a program and lead it? Yeah, I think I think you know first and foremost. I mean, I I played or coached at every single level there is out there. So I think getting a grasp and an understanding of all the baseball there is out there and all that it has has to offer 
but, you know, I think if you would have asked me this question when I first started coaching, I, I would have said nothing but baseball stuff. I would oh, I can put together a practice plan and I can put together a development plan and I can put together a scouting report um, and all that stuff. But through the years, what you start to realize is that half, if not more, of the responsibility of being a head coach is everything you do off the field. It's fundraising. It's it's alumni relations. It's dealing um, with administrators on a daily basis. It's it's hiring a coaching staff. It's it's uh, individual meetings with your players and creating those good relationships. It's, it's of course, uh, recruiting, which uh, all of that is done off, obviously off, off the field. So um, if anything, you know, with my time again, with, you know, whether it be uh, my early days in coaching uh, with those guys or, you know, getting a chance to work, you know, for Coach Powers in Nevada or even, you know, Jay Johnson for the short amount of time is uh, working with him and, and obviously working for Eric and, and Coach Checkett's here just the valuable lessons that I've had an opportunity to, to understand all that goes into building a college pro, a program. It's, it's like being a CEO of Apple uh, or, or a big corporation. There's so many moving parts in it. Um, you know, of course, you want to, you know, our, our chariot on, on the top of everything is, is getting a chance to get out there and, and coach baseball games and develop players on the field and practice and be out there and stuff. But, but boy, all the other uh, nuts and bolts that go into, uh, you know, building a program from, from top to bottom to making sure that you got the right pieces in there to great relationships with your administrators. Um, yeah. Academics for our players to make sure that they have a good plan in place for that stuff and fundraising to help support your program. And then, and the recruiting as, as well. It's, it's just how it is. And that's, that's really what I've learned through the years. Yeah. And I think a lot of people just think of, Oh, he's a baseball coach. He shows up mm-hmm. to the field. He rolls the balls out. He's got a practice plan. And then they go coach some games, right? They don't necessarily consider all that stuff off the field. And, you know, right now you're off the field a lot, you know, unfortunately, given what's going on uh, in our in our world. Uh, So for you, you know, personally, what what's been the most challenging thing for you to deal with? Uh, with the cancellation of the spring, I, I want to, uh, it's a two-part question. I want to ask you for you personally, um, and then for your program, what's, what's been the most challenging thing to deal with? Yeah, um, me personally, I think it's a couple things, you know, I think, you know, the, the reality of it, and we're all dealing with this as coaches is, is first and foremost, the players, you know, there's going to be guys that I'm, I'm only going to get a chance to coach for 15 games. They're going to go on, they're going to sign professionally and, and that's it, you know, and I'm not going to see what they're going to be like. Um, you know, chasing another Big West championship or pitching in the postseason, uh, pitching or playing in the postseason, um, I'm just not going to get a chance to, to enjoy that experience with the players uh, from there. And then same thing with our seniors. You know, there's, you know, w- w- we only have two seniors in our program, um, which is probably one of the on the lower end in the nationally out there. But um, you know, it, we have two guys. One's a pitcher. One's a position player. I of course spend a little bit more time with the position guys and. Um, you know, McLean O'Connor has, has been our starting shortstop the last two years, a guy that I have loved, enjoyed coaching um, almost as much as anybody I've coached out there. And and the reality is I'll only probably get a chance to coach that guy for, you know, we played, I don't know, 60 games last year and then the 15 this year. And there's a, you know, there's a good chance he'll sign professionally and and that'll be it. You know, so those are the things that that make uh, what went, went through a little bit tough. I think the other thing personally is us as college coaches. I mean, we are used to being non-stop busy <laughs> on the run on the go in the car on the phone on a plane watching games coaching and it comes to a screeching halt um you know i was it was thursday before all this stuff broke out 
I was sitting on my laptop trying to finish up the scouting report for the weekend. We were playing UNLV on the weekend. And then news breaks about the Mountain West shutting down or, or suspending their, their season. So immediately I stopped doing that. Um, <laughs> I was planning on going to a game that day. I hopped in my car and I got my car right away and I started driving to that game. And by the, by, by the middle of that game, the College World Series was canceled. So, it, I mean, in the blink of an eye, we go from uh, getting ready to play a series against a, a good opponent um, to obviously spending time recruiting on the road, juggling that with practice and player development to everything stopping um, and then having all this, this time around, which has been great. You know, I get to spend a lot of time with my kids and my wife and, and going through that stuff. And, you know, we have our hands full with, with their school and their elementary school stuff. But um, we're so busy, you know, we, you know, the, the, what was scheduled to be the Boris Classic up north, which is, a, is an unbelievable tournament for us from a recruiting standpoint. You know, that was just getting wrapped up here the last over the weekend, I think. And I would have definitely been up there recruiting and, and seeing some guys up there. But, you know, all that stuff is, is just not a reality. So it's been a, it's been a, it's been a weird adjustment. Um, but, you know, we're trying to take every advantage uh, of it as we can, you know, to both develop, um, you know, our coaching strategies moving forward, whether it be how I'm going to do things with the hitters whenever the whenever we can get back on the field with them and then, you know, being on the phone and, and whatnot and watching video of, of recruits and, and, and talking to coaches and stuff to making sure that we're staying as up-to-date as we can from a recruiting standpoint. So given that you lose the spring not only on the field but off the field in the recruiting piece, how do you think this affects the recruiting calendar for, you know, whenever this is cleared up? Let's just assume that, you know, it's back to business as normal right come, say, July. Uh, do you mm-hmm. think that the NCA makes a – you know, one year kind of exemption on the recruiting calendar? You know, I, I don't know. Um, it, if you asked me that I, I can only give you one answer, I would say no. Um, just, you know, having experienced the NCAA and, and you know, they, they have to do their due diligence to make make sure that they set the right policy for the, the masses and the sports and stuff like that, just like they did with um, obviously extending eligibility for the seniors. But, um, or for everybody rather, but, um, you know, I, I don't know, you know, we were, we were getting ready to, to experience a new recruiting calendar as it was, you know, with, um, the inception of, uh, a over for the, the, the first, you know, weekend of regionals and then 4th of July. And I think there was another one in there as well. Um, you know, so there's going to be some spots in the summer where we're going to experience, um, some dead periods anyway. And I think a, a week less in the, at the, the back end of summer, um, so, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that the NCAA is going to go, okay, well, you guys can just recruit nonstop until Christmas time, um, off campus. That would surprise me, um, just because I think that a lot would have to go into that particular decision. Um, maybe, you know, adding a few weeks here and there, uh, from that standpoint. The other thing is, is that makes me a little bit nervous from a player safety standpoint is, you know, let's just say June one, July one, we're we're, we're allowed to go back on out on camp, uh, off campus to go recruit and have visits and stuff starting June first, um, unless that date changes per the NCAA. But let's just say July first hits and um, they change it to July first for some reason or another, and you know now we we hit the ground running. There's games. There's there's all that stuff. But what kind of shape are all these players in? You know, and that makes me a little bit nervous too. Is you know, our, our pitcher is going to be used too much or our guys going to start pulling hamstrings and all that stuff. And I know that falls on them to make sure that they're in as good shape as they can be. But there's all, a lot of restrictions. Guys can't go to gyms. Can't Guys can't go to facilities to throw pins and all that stuff for the most part. But, um, you know, it's, it's what kind of shape those guys are in. And then on top of that, you know, you see guys that are 
slightly out of shape. You know, us as evaluators, we see guys and go, ah, this guy's not ready yet. He's not. But in reality, if, if he was in, you know, you know, full go mode and, and none of this happened, maybe it's a different case for that, 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 that individual player. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point because you see, you know, you see videos on on social media of guys throwing yeah. bullpens and some guys working uh-huh. out and stuff, and that's a really really good point because it's almost as if, you know, say things are cleared by July first. I mean, guys are going to need a week or two at the very yeah. least, right, to ramp up. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. You know, I you know, especially with pitching stuff. You know, that's always that's always the 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 big one, of course, with the, all the arm injuries and stuff out there these days that. You want to make sure those guys are safe and healthy and all that stuff. They're going to need time, you know, even like, you know, I, I, I don't know if summer balls is going to happen for the college level. The Cape, of course, canceled their year. But uh, the same thing with those guys, you know, we have obviously all of our guys are, are planning on going out, but those guys are going to need time. They're going to have to throw. It's going to be like fall ball. They're going to have to throw one or two innings at a time before they build up to being able to throw maybe four five or six innings. So, uh, you know, nothing's going to be different for those, you know, 16 to 18 year olds that are or 15 to 17 year olds that are out there doing this stuff in the summer in high school so they're going to need their time yeah if if and when we get back to it, it it's gonna the game's gonna look different for a little while i think for sure based on what you just said so you mentioned earlier yeah. you guys you guys only have two seniors on your roster which is, is you know really really low based on some of the research we've done internally uh but how do yeah. you think how do you think the cancellation of this spring season uh is going to affect the college game just from a numbers rostering standpoint right with guys shuffling uh you know some recruiting classes some guys have large recruiting classes you know other teams have small recruiting classes how do you think it's going to impact uh the the college game just from that standpoint i think it's going to have a huge impact to be quite honest um i think ours you know i i love sports i watch almost everything out there um you know i pay a lot of attention to college basketball and college football and all that stuff and you know, I, I always go back to thinking like, well, boy, what if what if college football or college basketball had to deal with the stuff that we did in terms of guys, you know, signing professionally after their senior year of high school? Of course, of course, now with college basketball, you got a couple of guys signing in the, to the G League, but by no means on the scale of what we deal with on a yearly basis. But, you know, it's you're 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 playing. You know, I don't know if this is the right term or not, but we're playing Russian roulette a little bit with trying to figure out you know, uh, projecting, okay, well, this guy's probably going to sign because I think he's that talented. Well, I don't think this guy's going to sign. So I got to make sure that I'm in, in as good a position as I can be, you know, July 1st, July 15th, um, before we get going in, in, in the fall to make sure that my roster is in a good a position as I can. You know, I think that, um, you know, juggling all those things. And then now, you know, nobody saw this coming, you know, no one saw a canceled season, a shortened draft, a uh, an additional year of eligibility for everybody on your roster. So, you know, the, my, my guess is there's a lot of scrambling out there. There's a lot of uncertainty out there. I mean, Major League Baseball hasn't even uh, completely set the date for the draft. They haven't uh, set the amount of rounds that they're going to have for the draft. So there's a lot of unknowns out there for um, probably 90% of the uh, Division One baseball rosters out there. And, and the trickle down, like you said, I mean, yeah, it's going to affect what's happening for next year for our rosters, but it's also going to affect the, the year after that. You know, I think you're pushing money to an additional year, and, and now you know, you're moving on down the road. They didn't give us extra scholarship money. They didn't give us extra spots. So we got to figure out a way to ma- stay under the salary cap and, and all that stuff. So uh, we, we have our work cut out, of, out for us for sure as a, as a, as a, as a group. Yeah, and I think the the unknown, the, the biggest unknown that I kind of gather is 
you know, not knowing is the draft for certain going to be five rounds? Is it going to be 10 rounds? You know, and then what guys, like you said, what guys are going to sign free agent deals, right? I mean, because yeah, there's, yeah. quite simply, there's going to be some guys that aren't coming back. And so do you think that all of this leads to changes in the college game at all? Um, from, I, from, either know, a, it, from either a scholarship standpoint or, you know, we'll get into the third paid assistant in a little bit, but do you think sure. it'll lead to any changes from just like a scholarship standpoint? You know, you hear a lot of talk, uh, you know, you read a lot of stuff about, you know, there's, there's stuff on the table where, Hey, we want to increase the number of scholarships. We want to be a fully funded sport. We, you know, some places can do that. Other places can't So, What sort of changes, if any, do you think this might lead to in the college game? Yeah, you know, I think it might drive the conversation a little bit more. Um, I think I think we have some great people behind our sport, um, you know, of course, with the ABCA and then um, the various head coaches out there that do a really good job of, of getting our message out there. Um, but, you know, I think it, it would be great if they said, OK, you guys can have all these extra scholarships, you know, whether it be 13, 15, 18, whatever, or a headcount sport where, you know, 35 guys are getting a, a full scholarship. Uh, but I think the reality of it is, you know, the really reason we have 11.7 is because of Title IX. Um, so I think the only way it's going to be anything for any of that stuff to change, I think, is um, it's going to have to also alter a lot of other moving pieces within um, athletics as well. So um, I think it's a lot harder than than it is for the NCAA just to sit there and say, OK, well, let's just, just change this, the number of scholarships. Um, part of me wonders, too, to be quite honest with you, you know, Division One already has the model with. I don't even know what it's called. Super football, the bowl subdivision it used to be one double A, I guess. But yeah. you know, those are all, you know, you know, it, it, in order for our sport to continue to progress, you know, if there is a situation to where we can, let's just say if we can go to 18 full scholarships instead of 11.7. Well, is that going to divide the country to where, you know, the top half of, of Division One baseball team go in that direction and the bottom half are going to go to some some version of a one double A or or whatnot um, situation because they just can't afford it. Um, you know, their school can't afford that many scholarships and stuff. I don't know. That's just a hypothetical thing. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a chance for it. And maybe it'll, um, you know, through all this, we'll um, raise a little bit more attention to our sport, which to be quite, quite honest is, is incredibly popular nationally. I mean, the numbers at the world series are, are through the roof as far as attendance and, and uh, TV, you know, viewership and all that stuff. And, um, I think that the number of our games that are on national television and, and the coverage, uh, you know, that, that all the, the various programs are doing out there and, and, and websites are doing out there, which is awesome. I, I think our sport is, is probably worthy of the attention that it's getting. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there could be some changes. I just think it's going to be a lot harder than, than it, it might be, you know, people might think. Yeah, one of the changes I, I kind of popped into my head was I read an article from Kendall Rogers on D1 Baseball the other day where he, he talked about, uh, and, and sorry if I misquote this, but I, I think it was like the Colonial Athletic and in a couple of other leagues were talking about doing kind of a regionalized schedule between those four leagues for next year to you know defray costs and keep costs down. Do you think that's something that's doable on the West Coast with the, you know, the four D1 conferences out here? Yeah, you know what's interesting is I, I, I read I thumbed through that article. I can't say I read the whole thing. Um, <laughs> I, to be honest with you, let we already do that, and it's right. part of the reason that it's that, Tuesdays, I, right? that <laughs> it's part of the yeah the, the midweek thing. We all play each other, you know, one way or another. Like it's like six degrees of separation. We all play against each other every single year. All the 
the, the Pac-12, the Mountain West, the WAC, the WCC, and the Big West, we all play against each other um, already, you know, and uh, um, one way or, you know, just the way, the way the RPI is calculated and all that stuff, I think that, you know, that's probably a bigger issue to, to tackle, but, you know, that's hey, we, we get 10 to 12 teams in a 64-team field on a yearly basis, even though we have unbelievable base on the West Coast, as you know, and um, you know, so we already do a version of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think travel budgets and whatnot are going to be hit, um, or affected one way or another just because of the, the coronavirus and all that stuff. So I can see there being some restrictions down the road as far as, Hey, you know, we're trying to save some money. Maybe it's not a trip to Tulane like we did two years ago, or, a uh, you know, a trip to somewhere back East or down South or something like that, like we've done before, but, uh, maybe it's, it is a little bit more of a regionalized thing, um, from there. You know, I'm glad you touched on that, that, you know, a trip to Tulane, you know, how important are trips like that for a program like Santa Barbara versus, you know, uh, versus flipping it, right, for Tulane coming out to the West Coast to kind of attract eyes from, you know, uh, from West Coast talent, you know, to potential uh, recruiting to Tulane. Like, so, so how important is it for Santa Barbara to go out of California, the West Coast, to go play those teams? From a recruiting standpoint, I understand the value of playing the best competition, you know, outside of your area. But is there value for Santa Barbara to go out of the state, out of the region for a recruiting uh, standpoint? It's 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 huge. I, I don't think it affects us too much from like, hey, that means that we can start recruiting in uh, Texas and and maybe the southern region a little bit. But I think the attraction of, hey, I know if I go to that place, they're going to go to some pretty exciting environments and um and then and, and play some some cool competition outside of the area outside of the schools that I'm, i've been used to hearing about my whole life as a kid growing up in california i think the 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 idea okay i can go and play in a in a big time environment out of tulane out of vanderbilt out of florida at you know georgia tech or what you know whatever it may be and there's a lot of really good ones out here on the west coast of course but uh we're going to play into you know like the uh, you know, some of those big tournaments that they have earlier in the year, like the Shriners classic and, and the Whataburger and all that, and all that stuff. But I think it's really attractive for those guys. Cause you know, you know, we have great academics and we have a great baseball program, but I think it's, you know, when you're adding in the fact that you're getting on a plane and you're going to play in some really cool areas um, and some cool towns and with, with uh, where you're going to get, you know, five, 10,000 people in the, in the stands, I think is, is awesome. Um, it, it really is not to mention the effect that it's going to have, of course, on your current team. Um, to get that experience of playing in those big environments. Yeah, and on top of all those things you mentioned, you guys are in Isla Vista. <laughs> and if you've ever been to Isla Vista, yeah. you know, I mean, goodness gracious. Uh, so that, yeah, there's no that, shortage of fun there. No, sir. No, sir. So, Matt, that, that's awesome. But before I let you go, Matt, we do a we do a podcast rapid fire with coaches, and I just want to put you on the hot seat here a little bit with some questions. And first thing that comes to your mind, just fire away and – um, you know, you can you don't think about it too much. So just just fire away with some answers. You ready to roll? I'm ready. All right, here we go. Small ball or gorilla ball? Gorilla small ball. <laughs> Country or hip hop? Yeah, I like that. That's that's hip- a that, that's a new one. That's a new one for me. Yeah, right. uh, hip hop for sure. Hip hop. Uh, all right, Costco or Sam's Club? Costco. College football or the NFL? Oh, man. Uh, college football. Uh, Raiders or 49ers? 49ers, 49ers, 49ers. <laughs> Trackman no. or Rapsodo? Trackman. Uh, favorite vacation spot? 
favorite vacation spot would you live in a pretty be, good oh, one gosh <laughs> <laughs> well okay so it's a fine line between las vegas and, and hawaii okay two very different places by the way uh yeah or, no, i like vegas Ma- yeah i do too uh mac mac or pc mac best singer on the gauchos best singer on the gauchos oh my goodness I don't know. I don't know if we have any singers on the Gauchos. To be honest with you, I don't know if I've ever had any good singers that I've coached. Yeah, you got me on that one. I don't know. Uh, I don't have an answer. All right, best dancer on the Gauchos. Best dancer. I don't know. Last year we had some good ones. Armani Smith. He could get down a little bit. We had some guys with some. They were free spirited a little bit. They had some. We had some guys that can get down. Giants or A's? Um, I like them both. Giants. I, I, I rooted for the Giants in '89. Okay. Uh, favorite stadium you've ever been in? College or professional? Just either or. Uh, your, your favorite, favorite stadium. stadium? Oracle Arena for the Golden State Warriors. Go to song to sing in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I don't even know. If I turn my brain off in the shower. I probably just ramble and sing whatever. I don't. I don't have a song. <laughs> All right, uh, in and out or Five Guys? I am not a fast food guy, so I none of the above. Believe it or uh, not, I should I should have known that. I remember sitting next yeah. to you at the National yeah. Classic. You were eating some funky yeah. stuff there. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt, Matt, I I can't thank you enough for making some time for me and coming on on the podcast, man. I really really appreciate it and. You know, it's been a crazy time, and you'd probably rather be on a baseball field than talking to me. So uh, I'm really, really grateful for you taking the time to be on the podcast. Of course, anytime, Les. I really appreciate you having me on. I want to thank UC Santa Barbara recruiting coordinator Matt Fontino for joining me on the podcast today. Be sure to check out prepbaseballreport.com for all your news and information. And until next time, we'll see you at the yard.